Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero. Somewhat hoarse today, but I will get through this. Some sort of virus, I'm sure. This week, my host is the glorious Josh Centers, Tidbits Editor. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me back on, John. You're one of my favorite guests. I love having you on the show. <laughs> well, thank you for the kind words. So for the listeners, you are the managing editor of Tidbits, as well as the author of Take Control Books, uh, Apple TV, and Take Control of Preview, and I think you've done one on home automation, and you recently published a new, relatively new Take Control book, iOS 13 and iPad OS 13. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah, and I uh, also did a notes book. Oh, cool. Excellent. You're really churning them out. Yeah. This is your <laughs> sixth appearance on Background Mode. I'm delighted to have you. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to get like a special robe or something. Well, if I find one in the store, I'll have a background mode embroidered onto it, and you can wear it to the bathroom. <laughs> the Five Tires Club. Yeah. So we decided beforehand that the theme for the show would be Apple in 2020. And there's lots to talk about, so let's get started. So my first item of interest is something is because I'm kind of a Mac person, for starters, first and primarily is what do you think about the iMac Pro situation? You know, it launched in December 17. It's now 25 months old without a, any kind of an upgrade or even mention from Apple. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the iMac Pro in 2020? Yeah, I, th- uh, I think it's one of those things they need to either come out with a new one or just drop it entirely. I- I'm not quite sure which one they're going to go with. I-, I do know a lot of people who bought an iMac Pro uh, were quick to get rid of them when the the new Mac Pro came out. I saw a lot of them for sale really? on Twitter. Yeah, and um, well, and the, the iMac Pro just sits in such a weird place. Now, I've often said, uh, you know, in terms of recommendations, that I think the iMac, uh, the 27 inch iMac, is the best value for money in the entire Mac lineup. You know, for most people who work day in and day out with Macs, you, you get a lot of power. You know in Apple terms, you know, quantify this, you know, being an Apple world, you get a lot of power for a reasonable price. Um, the, the iMac pro it's, it's very expensive. It has a, a wonderful screen, but it's also very locked down, which is something, uh, you know, a lot of professional users, uh, you know, of course don't care for. I think it's even more locked down than the regular 27 inch iMac, isn't it? Like you can't even, isn't there a slot in the back of the iMac pro that you can get into with some difficulty? Uh, I mean, you can get an iMac, you know, with some difficulty. Uh, it's just... I mean, there's a little door, but it's kind of difficult to get in there uh, and uh, uh, upgrade the memory. And now i got to look into that. Now, on the... Uh, I just got a new 27-inch iMac, uh, not Pro, just a regular iMac, and I upgraded to 40 gigs of RAM in it pretty easily. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at it now. 40, uh, 40 gigs. 40 gigs. Yeah, there, there, was, wow. a, there was a sale. <laughs> I got... I got uh, let's see, was it thirty-two gigs of RAM for like ninety dollars? Oh, so you had a third-party upgrade, like other world computing or somebody? Yeah, it was Amazon, and then it came with eight gigs of RAM already, and there were two slots free. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, what, what the heck? And yeah, so now now forty gigs of RAM. I swear, I'll never buy another Mac that doesn't have at least thirty-two. Oh, Although yeah. one of our authors, uh, Charlotte Henry, who lives in London, bought an iMac, bought a Mac Mini. A Mac mm-hmm. Mini in 2019 with eight gigabytes of RAM. I wish she oh. had done that. But oh. she does her podcasts and she does her video production and her audio production. And she oh, says man. she's surviving nicely with eight gigabytes of RAM on a Mac yeah. Mini. 
but more power to her. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, skating on thin ice. I think she she must not use slack. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, would that be an embarrassment for Apple to just outright erase or or just cancel the iMac Pro? Wouldn't it be better to say, you know, we've got we've got new processors, we've got new new internals. I, I don't uh, think I, it'd be. I don't think it'd be an embarrassment. I, you know, I just think it would be. You know, I don't know what the sales numbers are, but I mean, I, I think it would be acknowledging just the realities. I mean, it, people don't seem to clamor for the iMac Pro like they do. You know, this new Mac Pro. Or some even, people say it was just a psychological um, band aid until the Mac Pro came out. You know, this is my thought on it because you know one of my original. Back when I just did an indie blog, you know, and, and one of the first posts that got me some recognition uh, in the Apple blog scene was uh, predicting an iMac Pro, and this was like in 2012, yeah, 2012, I think, or maybe even 2011, a long time ago, right? And you know, I sort of laid out my rationale, and, and here's the thing: is I, I think Apple really, really hates selling a, a separate box that's connected to wires <laughs> to a display. I think they just totally resent the idea. It's it's very much not the Apple ethos, right? Like Apple's done it. Apple sold a lot of systems like that, but I just don't think they like doing it. Like in, in the roots of their Jobsian DNA, they just hate it. They they think, hey, look, we want to sell you a screen that has a computer in it, right? Like they want to sell you the iPad, they want to sell you the iMac. Except for the MacBook. Mac Pro, but if you want to have a really great display, you, you buy their uh, right display xdr well see that's what i was getting to with the mac pro they, they had to release a mac pro because there was so much high-end demand for it and and i do think those high-end customers are important to apple i do think there is a very much a trickle-down effect there uh, i suspect hewlett-packard was eating their lunch really yeah with technical <laughs> professionals and desktop machines and workstations and machines with terabytes of ram and great displays and Technical yeah. professionals that talked to me told me that they'd kind of given up on Apple as a as a desktop workstation source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't blame them. Um, so I think Apple had to do it. I don't think they particularly wanted. I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to, to come out with the iMac Pro and everyone would be like, "Oh wow, this is amazing! I don't need a big stupid box now. I'll just have this i this sealed up iMac Pro." And unfortunately for Apple. Uh, people just, you know, people want to be able to tinker with their machines. They want to be able to take things apart. They want to be able to yeah, add things they need the to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, so I think Apple's philosophy was fine. If that's really what you want, you're going to pay six grand for it. And, you know, people are. So. <laughs> All right. So moving on, uh, I read an article by Rene Ricci who reminded us that there is this mythical, legendary machine called the X Mac. This is a machine that fits between the Mac Mini and the current 2019 Mac Pro. This is a machine for prosumers, you know, technical professionals who can't afford a $10,000, $20,000 system but need some real muscle on their desktop. And so they could take the Mac Pro case and maybe size it down and, uh, you know, limit it to eight cores and limit it to 256 gigabytes of RAM and upgrade the SATA bus to the fourth generation standard and have a pretty nice desktop machine, sort of like in the style of the, you know, the 2010 cheese grater Mac Pro for $3,000 that people who are really 
power hungry could you know both afford and you know, lust after and actually have on their desktop. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that prospect? Will Apple never do that, or maybe you think maybe they might squeeze uh, it in in twenty twenty? I would absolutely love that if they did it. I would probably be one of the first people to get one. I'd be number two. I'd be a cringe. Right. Uh, it'll never happen, though. It, it no. just for, for the same reasons I outlined before. Apple hates the idea of selling. They sell the Mac Mini, you know. But again, I think the Mac Mini is kind of like people twisted their arm. Like, come on, give us a Mac Mini. Okay, fine. Mac Pro, same thing. But you're going to pay for it. And so, you know, I, I, and this has been a dream for a long time that people, I mean, it's a dream I've had for a long time, you know, see a lot of people who are frustrated by the Mac Pro, what they really wanted, what a lot of people really want, they want an Apple gaming machine. They want an Apple, they want an Apple box they can spend two, $3,000 for, you know, a somewhat reasonable amount given the Mm -hmm. Apple markup and, you know, they can play games on it or, you know whatever power user stuff you tend to, you know, cause like I, I get it. I used to build gaming PCs, you know, I might still get, I might get back into it one day, but you like to build your own PC. You like to tinker things. You hate windows. Linux just doesn't do it for you. You want Apple, you, you know, it's, it's, um, oh, yeah, but there are a lot of games that are not supported on Mac OS that people, right. Well, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like Catalina broke, uh, Almost everything in the Source engine, so you know Half-Life Two, uh, Left for Dead, any, basically anything from Valve over the past you know fifteen years oh, is, is out of the question. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably the reason I have an upgrade. I mean, I don't even play those games, but still, come on. Um, what was it in Catalina so, that, that broke it? Was it security? Thirty-two bit, thirty-two oh. bit support. Yeah, because the Source engine is all thirty-two bit, and Valve doesn't release games anymore. But uh, <laughs> they don't seem to do anything game related anymore. Uh, so yeah, they haven't updated those to sixty four bit in all this time. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, you know, you got to boot into Windows or Mojave for that. But yeah, the the sort of gamer Apple Mac has been a, a holy grail of sorts for a long time. I just don't ever see it happening. I would love to be wrong. You know, put me down the record as you know, would love to be wrong. I would love to buy that machine. Um, I just I don't well, think I, Apple I, ever I don't do think it. that kind of machine would appeal only to gamers. I think there'd be uh, engineers and, and aerospace sure. and laboratory and researchers and scientists who would say, you know, there's no way I'm going to tuck my boss into a six thousand dollar computer and a six thousand dollar display. But I've already got some nice displays here in the office, and if I could hook up a three thousand dollar Mac X Mac, I'd have a pretty formidable research tool. You know? Oh sure. I think there'd be a lot of market for it. I just I don't see Apple doing it. I like I said I could be wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Renee doesn't usually tend to talk of his hind end that much, so that's what kind of makes that a little bit more interesting. This is one of those things that's been rumored for a long time. I think even yeah. uh, Joe Kissel, you know, back when we used to do April Fools' jokes, I think that was like a, a joke one year was an was the X Mac. So <laughs> maybe we'll finally see it. I don't know. It's particularly poignant now because I'm a Mac Pro, a 2013 Mac Pro user. Ooh. And when my 2013 Mac Pro will no longer support Mac OS, maybe in a year or two, I'll be faced with the prospect of downgrading from a glorious black tower to a Mac Mini that's mm-hmm. four years old. If most Apple has yeah. upgraded the Mac Mini in, in 20 or 20, 2021. So it's kind of an unsavory prospect, whereas an X-Mac would be a perfect evolutionary thing and digestible budget-wise. Mm-hmm. So, of course, my influence and my interests are, you know, negligible. So, 
<laughs> Sorry, John. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, I mean, yeah, people have been winning this for years. Now, I will say, I did just get, uh, like I said, I got a new 27-inch iMac. I got the 40 gigs of RAM because you can upgrade the RAM yourself. And I opted for the one terabyte flash drive instead of the, the Fusion drive, which I... I well, I'm glad yeah, you stayed away from Fusion. I have a distaste for those. Yeah, well, it was great at first, but APFS really just messed it up. Anything spinning yeah. disk... And APFS do not mix, and so it's been a beast of a machine so far. You know, I'm I'm very close to the display connected because I couldn't live on a 27 inch. It's not big. Yeah, I I have a uh, a 27 inch Dell I've had for a number of years. Um, It's not in the best shape, but it gets the job done. Yeah, two 27 side by side is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of space. All right, so moving on, the um, infamous. MacBook Pro series with its mm. butterfly keyboard and uh, some overheating issues and uh, reliability issues. I, I know so many people who've had uh, their MacBook Pros in, back into this for service, replacements of logic boards. My wife had that happen. Jeff Gamet had it happen to him. His keyboard failed several times. It's been kind of a mess, especially with the failures of the scissors keyboard. So. I mean the butterfly keyboard. So Apple came out with this glorious new 16-inch MacBook Pro uh, a few months ago, I think, with a, a scissor revamped scissors keyboard that people are loving, with a hardware escape key, a bigger battery. Instead of getting thinner, it got a little bit thicker, and showed some departure from Apple's previous evil ways. <laughs> and so the question now is, in 2020, will Apple do an analog? Will they do like a 14-inch MacBook Pro upgrading the 13? Yeah, I, I, I don't know why people always just jump to 14. I, I guess because they went from 15 to 16. Um, you know, yeah, I think it's going to happen. I, I think they'll get rid of the butterfly keyboard all the way down the line. The the one I'm really keeping my eye, eye on is the MacBook Air. I think once they get that new keyboard in a MacBook Air at a reasonable price, I think that thing's going to fly off the shelves. Yeah, yeah. So this, oh, Apple has a, a job to do in 2020. They got to systematically replace MacBook Pros, 13-inch MacBook Airs that have this evil butterfly keyboard. <laughs> well, another thing that Rene, Rene Ricci talked about, he wrote a really interesting article that I wrote about it recently, uh, was the prospect of why not a 16-inch MacBook Air for people who don't need the horsepower but need a big display? Did you see that? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. It's a, it's an interesting idea. Uh, you know, the only objection I might have to that is is Apple's always kind of tied screen size to to uh, processing power. So that seems a little counter the usual Apple. But you know, I mean, it could happen. It could happen. I kind of like that idea. Yeah, I, I love it. People but... who don't want to spend three thousand dollars on a thirteen inch MacBook Pro loaded. And see, that's why Apple. That's why Apple won't do it. <laughs> I want you to buy a three thousand dollar machine. Yeah, yeah. So the rumors of a less expensive HomePod have uh, kind of dried up, but I think we're going to have to take a break. We'll come back and talk about that in the second half of the show. But first, we'll need to take this commercial break, folks. We'll be back in sixty seconds. I'm chatting with Tidbits editor Josh Sanders. Stay with us. Today, our sponsor is Linode. Linode helps you design, develop, and deploy in the cloud. You can build dedicated CPU, distributed applications, hosted services, websites, and CI slash CD environments. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Linode is focused on simplicity, service, and value. 
The goal is to maximize the benefit you receive from your cloud by making it cost-effective to deploy robust compute, storage, and networking services that meet your ever-changing performance needs. Featured are native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and industry-leading processors. Pick from any of 10 worldwide data centers, including the newest in Toronto. Pay only for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. Plus, 24 by 7 live customer support is always just a phone call away. You'll be able to deploy and maintain your infrastructure simply and cost-effectively. Plus, Linode's tools make it easy to provision, secure, monitor, and backup your cloud. To learn more, visit linode.com slash bgm. That's l-i-n-o-d-e dot com slash bgm. And receive a $20 credit when you use promo code BGM2019. Thanks, Linode, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with Josh Centers. So regarding the HomePod, is that is that a dead product? Is it a thriving product? What happened mm. to the rumors of the less expensive HomePod? Uh, I'm going to say dead. Hey, you know, it's funny, though. I just recently got my first HomePod. <laughs> I finally broke down and bought one after all this time. And and you know what? Everything I thought about the HomePod beforehand is kind of a not needed product, and its series kind of clunky, and all of it was true. Every bit of it. I never bothered with one. I uh, I'm in your camp. I didn't now, solve now, a problem I had. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'll say that the audio quality is excellent, and it is you know room filling, if not house filling. Um, but you know, here's the thing: for the price, it was a like retail price of a HomePod. You can buy, you know, a number of uh, Alexa things or Google things, and you can spread them around your house. And uh, you know, it does also does a pretty good job. Uh, plus, the voice support's better. Um, what about stereo music out of a HomePod? Is, it, is, is that it, an issue, or do you have to buy two still? You have to buy two. Yeah, oh I mean, now I did try. I did try using it with my Apple TV. Uh, you know, I have a surround sound, uh, sound bar. That's, a, that's an awkward way to put it, but uh, it's, it's a surround sound. And so I tried replacing that with my HomePod. And, you know, the HomePod does a pretty good job, but it's not surround sound. You know, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people say if you have two of them, it makes all the difference in the world. More power to them. But for 400 bucks, you could get a pretty good surround system. Um, yeah. And that's assuming you find the HomePods on sale. Now, I, I I think if the HomePod were a thriving product, I think Apple would have done something else with it by now. They don't seem terribly invested in it. You never you hear know, about it, it anymore. No. Um, you know, it, it might li- – I mean, I'm sure they're going to support it software-wise for a while. And they may even just sell it in its current form for a few years. But, I mean, any product that – I mean, I, I think o, uh, I think OWC just had it on sale for like one ninety, you know, yeah. and like original sticker price four hundred dollars. It dropped to very quickly three fifty, three hundred dollars. I got one for two hundred dollars, and now it's one ninety. I'm like, come on, let's be honest. This thing isn't flying off the shelves. I'll tell you another thing too. <laughs> this is funny. I bought my HomePod. I got it in. Uh, the past few months have been a little blurry for me. Uh, it's either late November or I think early December. I got in early December, and it came with uh, it came with iOS 11 on it. Like I, I wasn't even aware that the HomePod ever came with iOS 11, but I had updated like two entire iOS versions. So it had been sitting, presumably, been sitting on the shelf for that long. Oh, that's a bad sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah not good. <laughs> 
I wonder if this was an inventory clear out or whether it was a price elasticity test to see if maybe if there was some market for a less expensive HomePod and experiment and say, hey, OWC, we've got 500 of these. We would put them on sale, see if they fly off the shelf at that price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I, I mean, we'll get the sense they're just trying to get rid of the darn things. Uh, you know, <laughs> I bought mine from Best Buy. I got the sense from Best Buy. They're just trying to get rid of them. But um, especially if they have that, that old software. You think of Apple su- supplied like a fresh batch, like, hey, see how, see what these will sell like at 200 bucks. You'd, yeah. you'd think they have some fresh software on them. I think they're clearing the shelves. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as a popular home speaker, smart speaker system that never really took off. I think it appealed to a small section of audiophiles. Yeah. People are into the Apple camp. Yeah. It's not going to be a mass market competitor to Amazon. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you another bad sign is the fact that Apple keeps adding different Apple services to Alexa. They added Apple Music last year, and, and then just uh, about a month or so ago, they added uh, Apple Podcasts to Alexa. Oh, so. I didn't know about the latter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I think the HomePod's going to die. An inglorious death in a year. <laughs> it's That's the probably why really we haven't is. seen the 199 model, because it wasn't worth putting the engineering effort into it. Yeah, it, it really is the new uh, iPod Hi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so in 2020, we expect an iPhone 12, a 5G iPhone in September. Um, I've seen rumors that um, Apple's going to get rid of the notch. There was a article at, uh, or was it, Tech Radar, that rumored that um, that would be an in display fingerprint sensor like Apple's been trying for years to do and that the face ID would disappear. What do you think about getting rid of the notch and getting rid of face ID? Uh, you, you know, it's uh, those have been rumors for a while. And I, I don't quite know what to, I mean, I think the notch definitely is going to go away at some point. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's almost sort of a symbol of the iPhone now, right? Like they had to drop the little icon of the home button, whether they need to or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, wasn't it like um, the Pixel, like the first Pixel phone? You could have a second notch in software. You could have like two notches on the phone. They're like, screw it, we're going two notches. You have four notches. You know, they, they just copy them. They don't even know what the, these Android phone makers don't even know what the notch is for. They just know people want a notch, right? Um, well, I, I read a con- contradictory article. I forget where it was that said if you look at any ad, any Apple presentation of a picture of an iPhone 10, 11, it doesn't reveal that there's a notch there. They set up the uh, background to sort of blend in with it. Mm-hmm. And so Apple doesn't really let you see the existence of the notch in their advertising unless they're calling out, you know, specific, unless there's a maybe, maybe a little special call-out thing where they tell you what each one of the sensors is. Oh, that's uh, but, that's but interesting. there's no photo of an iPhone that reveals the notch in its glorious ingloriousness. <laughs> that's interesting. I, I know the icon they use, I don't know, maybe they've changed this now too, at least the icon they used at first, the iPhone 10, or if they had the little the little line drawing and documentation, they would show that notch really clearly. So yeah. I wonder if they moved away from that. I wonder if they had enough backla- backlash from the notch that they, they've distanced themselves from that. But I think one way or the other, I think the notch goes away at some point. Uh, Face ID, I'm not sure it goes away, but, but I'm going to tell you, the one thing that makes me suspect that Apple is not all in on Face ID is the fact that it is not yet on the Mac. It seems like to me that would be a f- 
pretty easy place to put Face ID. And and for that matter, while I'm on that topic, uh, you know, not to get too sidetracked, but it drives me crazy that even after all these years, they have these amazing front-facing cameras in the iPhone, and the Mac is still stuck at a 720p front-facing camera. You know, why is that? Um, but anyway, like so, I mean, you would think at some point they would update the uh, the front-facing camera, at least on the iMac, maybe to to have Face ID and and all that. But no, they're still doing Touch ID even in the 16-inch MacBook Pro. So it makes me think that they're not a hundred percent in on Face ID, and I uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some internal engineering perspective. That face ID didn't turn out to be as secure as they thought. Maybe um, I, I, don't, I don't. Has it been defeated? Or it seems like I read something where like it, it, it was a little easier to defeat than they thought, but yeah. not that easy. Um, and I will say the one thing that drives me nuts about Face ID, and I have the 11 Pro now, and it's it's much better than it was in the 10. It was pretty good in the 10, but the thing that drives me nuts is that it doesn't work very well. It, it still works poorly in sunlight. Yeah, you know, I remember when they first talked about Face ID. I'm like, oh man, that won't even work in a dark room. Well, they nailed the dark room. It works perfectly in a dark room because of the infrared. But the problem is, it it doesn't work in in sunlight. <laughs> well, the the other reason that maybe they're not whole all in on Face ID is um, at Christmas time I bought a a new iPad Mini five to replace my old Mini three, which won't run iOS thirteen. And in the process of buying a new iPad Mini five, I got Apple TV Plus free for a year, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. But I also noticed that it's still using the uh, Touch ID. If yeah. Face ID were so cool, it would appear on every iPad, but Apple doesn't do that. So yeah, I'm curious about why Apple thinks Face ID is so great and the technology is so proven in the, in the um, production scale now would allow Face ID on anything they build, but it's not universal yet, so maybe you're right. Yeah, it's still kind of a premium. Like on the iPads, it's it's not on the cheaper iPads. Even though you would think, yeah. you think Face ID, and I, I, what do I know about this? But you think Face ID would be a little less expensive to implement at this point kind of than Face ID. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you just have like the sensor package there, you know, as opposed to a moving button with a sensor in it. I mean, well, I guess it doesn't move on the Touch ID, or does it? I don't know. <laughs> shows shows how much I've been keeping up with the iPad lately. Like. uh I like your I like your uh, approach. Um, uh, you're not you're not wealthy enough to deserve Face ID. You just buy a little life iPad. You don't deserve to right. be secure. You you loser. You can just use your finger like yeah. an animal. <laughs> yeah, I think those gloves that. off. You That's peasant. Right. <laughs> we can give Apple the finger and log on. <laughs> so um, the other thing that's interesting to me about the 5G iPhone, and I haven't had a chance to write about this yet, is because. I've been fighting a virus, but um, T-Mobile has this nationwide five, what they're calling 5G network, and there's been a lot of fuss about it and speed tests, and, and this 600 megahertz. And 600 megahertz is a half-meter wavelength, and that's very, very far away from the millimeter wavelengths and high-speed performance of, of classic 5G. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure T-Mobile's doing this in order to have nice coverage maps and to have people, you know, have access success with what's calling 5g but you know you you get into 5g purely and you're talking about 20 to 30 mega gigahertz you're talking about wavelengths that are down a few millimeters it doesn't travel through buildings very well it doesn't travel through uh heavy rain um 
and you need repeaters. And so it's a perfect in-city kind of thing where you can have lots of towers and repeaters and businesses. But out in residential areas, that doesn't seem to be a great idea. And the industry is stepping around this very delicately. So I'm in, in the mood to kind of explore this. But what it does, my first thought is it kind of backs Apple into a corner because this 600 megahertz 5, 5G is a marketing ploy by T-Mobile. And is Apple going to support 600 megahertz 5G on their phones? I mean, it's not too far from 4G wavelengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, you know, I my suspicion is that Apple may have to go back to separate SKUs for different uh, carriers, but which wouldn't be the first time. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago they're having to do that anyway. So, you know, they may have to do that. Or, you know, if it's close enough to 4G, you know, maybe they could get a chip that adapts to that wavelength and then they could put the 5G chip in. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a curious thing on T-Mobile's part because T-Mobile has about 15 square feet of coverage in the entire United States. And, well, a bit of an exaggeration. But, square meters. <laughs> oh, maybe square. Yeah, you know, flip a coin. I mean, it's about the size of Manhattan if you disperse it evenly. And, you know, now, I know some people, you know, they, T-Mobile works really well for, and, you know, I'm kind of jealous because, you know, I admire T-Mobile for a lot of things, uh, but this is not a possibility here. And around here, it's like Verizon or, you know, might as well just throw your phone away. And um, so so T-Mobile has the challenge of not only are they going to be pressured to hop on the 5G train, uh, they also need to actually get coverage out to, uh, you know, less, less urban areas. Um, you know, which you know, even if you're a an urban person, you, you know, it's it's difficult. You know, if you have to travel too far outside the sea limits, and your your coverage stops working, right? Um, so that, that's a cha- that's always been a challenge for T-Mobile, and so now and that also, and as you said, you know, what we, most of us consider to be five G has a, actually a very short range, and you know, whenever people ask me about five G, I kind of liken it to Wi Fi. You know, and range-wise, I'm not sure it's much better than Wi-Fi because I I watched the Marquis Brownlee video where he goes around he goes around one of these towns that has 5G and he's like, well, I have 5G here and I don't have it here, and uh, I believe Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal did a very similar video. Like they both had the same experience. Like, well, you have 5G if you stand just right here in the street corner, you move over here, you don't have it, and then you, <laughs> you know? start doing speed tests and you discover that in many cases uh, you are local service is not anywhere near 10 times faster or 100 times mm-hmm. faster. It's more like maybe one and a half times faster, if that. Mm-hmm. People are going to yeah. be disappointed. I think there's going to be a lot of speed tests being done in the fall when the 5G, Apple 5G phone comes out. And I wonder if Apple's going to take any heat for this. Well, you see, and that makes me uh, suspect Apple may not be ready to hop on 5G yet. Because I, I don't see, really? I see a lot, of, I see a lot of hype from carriers, but I don't see a lot of actual real world benefit. I, I've heard a lot of hype stories about how it's going to make Terminator robots real, and the Matrix can be a thing, and we'll all be you know flying around in unicorns and, and stuff. But it's like, you know, how much difference is it going to make, especially when it has the like a twenty foot range? You know, all like the rumors I see said Apple's for sure going to come out with a 5g phone yeah i am i mean i mean probably that's probably but you know i won't be also be so, um, you don't know I'm, not, I'm not i'm not just gonna be jump on the bandwagon it's like i said like we barely have verizon here i have no cell service at my house so you know 5g 
Now, I'll, I will say, when we first got 4G, and see, this is another reason I'm skeptical of 5G, okay? So when we first got LTE, and I got my first LTE iPhone, was it the 6? It was the first LTE, I can't remember. But anyway, I remember uh, driving to work uh, back when I still did that. And you know, I was uh, like in the middle of nowhere, basically, driving, trying to drive somewhere. And I did a speed test driving down the road, you know, the, as as cautious people tend to do. And I got like 40 megabits down, which at the time, my home internet was like 30 megabits. So I was blown away. I'm like, wow, that is fast. And that same stretch now, now that everyone has a 4G LTE uh, phone of some kind, uh, you can get one in a cracker box practically. And that same speed is like... 15, maybe 10, if you can get signal at all. And that's the thing. You know, uh, I've had this a lot with Verizon. I don't know if it's like this with other carriers. Um, I've heard other people talking about this too. So I know it's not just a, lo- a local yokel thing. You know, I've heard people talking about, you know, you can have two bars of LTE on Verizon and get no service whatsoever. You have to have like at least three or four bars. And I guess it's because it's the service is so oversold. There's so many people on the towers. There's none of towers. So, you know, okay, if the transmission vector is so much faster, um, but there's the same number of towers. And like, yeah, what I'm saying is if the back end is no better than it is now, is it really going to be an improvement? I mean, maybe at first, you know, if you were the first people on 5G and you don't have a lot of competition, but once everyone's on 5G, and especially once they start taking resources away from 4G, you know, are you going to see, you know, any real improvement after a while? And um, I'm a little skeptical about the whole thing. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. It'll be interesting to see how Apple handles the marketing aspects of the carriers in its implementation of what might be a 5G phone in 2020. All right, we're running out of time. Uh, we have time for just a couple more questions. Um, were you thinking about anything for the iPad Pro? I mean, they've done some refreshes with faster processors and better displays. Where can Apple go with the iPad Pro? Now they've got a USB-C port and they've got an mm-hmm. iPad OS. What do you see next on the horizon? Mm. I, I think the real innovations need to be in software. You know, I think the processors are pretty fast. I mean, they'll get faster this year, sure, and they'll add more RAM and you know all that good stuff. Um, you know, maybe they'll come out with like a an iPad mouse. I don't know now. That's a thing that could, in, in theory, actually be done. Uh, but you know, I, I think what they really need to work on is the software end of it. You know, both exploit in, the differences of iPad OS. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's they they improved it a lot with iPad OS, but there's still so many things that the that it that the, the Mac can do that it can't, or the or are just so much more efficient on the Mac. I think you know I, I I have some respect for the people that do all their work on an iPad, but I also think they're kind of crazy because I'm like you know this thing <laughs> this would take half the time on a Mac. You know I had a buddy who he spent years like like his Mac stopped working. He had an iPad. He's like, I'm just gonna work on the iPad, and then finally someone just bought him a MacBook Pro. Like here, I'm tired of watching you work on this iPad. And he told me like two days later, he, he said I forgot how much faster the Mac is. I'm like yeah, <laughs> you know I mean. That's not to be snooty or anything. It's just it's just a fact. You know, you know, like I I've never found anything that work you know any workflow except maybe like drawing stuff that would be better on an iPad than a Mac. So you know, I think so they really need call the book and attest to that. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
so I, I think at this point, you know, they need to work on the windowing system that, you know, hopefully they can bring in more, more of those professional grade apps. Maybe they can open some things up for developers. So they can do more interesting things. Uh, you know, so keep an eye on iPad OS this year. I, I'm expecting some interesting stuff. I don't have any inside information. This is just me talking at my hind end. Uh, but I, I do think that's going to, we're going to see some interesting advancements there this year. I'm hoping we see some actual differentiation between iOS and iPad OS because right now iPad OS is just a subset. You know, I really like to see kind of do its own thing now. Yeah, that would be cool. So, do you think we'll see um, Apple AR glasses in 2020, or is that further out? Yeah, I think that's a ways off still. I mean, I've you know, I mean, Apple could have something up its sleeve, and you know, with with the Apple Watch, they really, I think they have a lead on these embedded systems. Uh, you know, but we've seen some stuff out of CES. You know, like, I think like Samsung's got some glasses, and people have been like, "Oh, this is where Apple's going." And you look at them, it, they look like welding goggles. I'm like, yeah. "No, I don't, I don't think that that's where Apple's yeah, going." Work on that. yeah. yeah, yeah. Somebody told me recently, Tim Cook was asked what he has in mind for Apple in 2020. What was that? What's that? Oh, we talked about we talked about that before the show. Tim Cook. Oh, oh store yeah. For us in <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking printers. <laughs> That's what we need. We need new laser printers from Apple. I, I tell you what, I would probably buy one if Apple <laughs> made one. I have the worst time with every laser printer I ever buy. Yeah, I have a Hewlett Packard that uh, has lasted for quite a while, but. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm concerned that it's a near death, and I'm not looking forward to uh, buying another printer. I, I wonder what would sell better. I wonder if a new HomePod would sell better or a new Apple uh, laser printer. I wonder which one would sell better. I think the printer. <laughs> you, you know, they could put a speaker in it. You know, you could have room filling audio and crystal clear uh, color images all in one, there one device. Go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> And a cooler for your martinis. Let's have a little right. refrigerated section. Well, and just just yeah. make it an airport router too while you're at it. I mean, just you know, just cram every miscellaneous Apple thing people want in, into this box, and just make all just make the people happy. You know. Speaking of cramming everything in, what service does Apple need to do in 2020 that they haven't done? We'll close uh, the show uh, with this. Uber for Apple. Oh, you mean the rideshare finally comes to the yeah, rideshare ride finally no, comes out? Apple Mortgage, Bank of Apple, not ah, Apple Mortgage. Oh, I just cool. think that'll happen eventually. I mean, it'll be you know super sad when it happens, but you know I'm sure they'll get into insurance or something at some point, like Sony did. Well, you know, with big companies have a lot of money, they figure out that uh, in order to make more money, they can use the money they have to do that. And it happened to General Electric and happen to other companies who have more money than they know what to do with. So the only thing to do with a lot of money is to make more money. All right. Apple health insurance. I, that, that I could see happening. Isn't uh, Amazon getting into that? I thought I saw a rumor in 2019 about Amazon. Yeah. Selling health insurance. They bought, yeah, yeah, they bought into something like that. And they also bought, um, they were, I heard they were launching some kind of pharmaceutical thing because I have a relative who's a pharmacist and he was absolutely freaking out when he heard the news. Cause. I can just see it now in 2020, the headline, Apple's Tim Cook denies health insurance coverage to poor six-year-old with leukemia. Oh, ooh, ooh, that Ouch. got dark fast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm just making a small joke. So anyway, with that, I think we have to close the show. Yeah. (laughs) It's all done now. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. It was a fun discussion. Sure. Thanks for having me again. I've been talking to Josh Centers, to this editor. This has been the Mac Observer's background mode. We'll see you again next week.